1: All right. Well, I think we're going to have some real fun with this guest, and it is someone whose voice you might recognize. It's ABC's news anchor, Dan Harris, and he's recently discovered a little something something that can improve your ability to get control over your own head and uh, perform even better in a number of situations. So you're going to learn one, Dan's wild story of how he came to discover meditation and its benefits, which includes a panic attack on national television. Two, the key question to rein in suboptimal brain ruminations and three, the meditation dose required to see substantial benefits. So if you wanna check out the show notes, the transcripts, links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash epp four. Here's a bit about Dan. Dan Harris is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Happier, the co-creator of the 10% Happier meditation for fidgety skeptics app and the host of the podcast 10% Happier with Dan Harris. He is also co-anchor for ABC News' Nightline and for the weekend edition of Good Morning America. He has been at ABC News for 15 years, receiving Murrow and Emmy Awards for his reporting. Prior to joining ABC, he was in local news in Boston and Maine. He grew up outside of Boston and currently lives with his wife, Bianca, and son, Alexander, in New York City. So thanks to Dan for taking the time to share his goodies with us. And thanks to our sponsors. Check them out.
0: It's a trying time that challenges all of our basic assumptions. However, one thing that brings us all together is our common humanity. Now more than ever, teams must come together and work together to solve big challenges. And Trello is here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Teams of all shapes and sizes and companies like Google, Fender, and even Costco all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. With Trello, you can work with your team wherever you are, whether it's at home or in an office. No matter what device you're using, computer, tablet, or phone, Trello syncs across all of them, so you can stay up to date on all the things your team cares about. Keep your workflow going from wherever you are with Trello. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T R E L L O.com. Trello.com.
1: Here's Dan. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I am so excited to, to dig in a little bit and, and hear some of your wisdom uh, associated with what you've discovered along the way of, of writing your book, uh, 10% Happier. But to, to start off, I'd love it if maybe you could walk us through perhaps the five to 10 minute version of the adventure, that the story that you lay out in the book.
2: Sure. Uh, a panic attack on, on national television back in 2004. Amen. Uh, on ABC news, uh, on a show called good morning America that we do a little show. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, was in the middle of reading the news headlines. Uh, I was at uh, that morning. I was filling in as the guy who comes on at the top of each hour and gives the headlines. And I just froze up. My lungs froze up. My heart started racing my mind was racing my mouth dried up my palms were sweating i just i couldn't breathe I, could, I had to quit right in the middle and toss it back to the main anchors of the show and so that's embarrassing but actually more embarrassing was the backstory which was that i had uh, spent a lot of time in war zones as a young, ambitious young reporter after 9-11 and really didn't think about the psychological consequences to that and then came home and and i got depressed and hmm. um didn't even really know I was depressed until later and, uh, and then made a very dumb decision, which is I, I self-medicated with, uh, uh recreational drugs, including cocaine. And, right. uh, so I, after the panic attack, I went to a doctor who pointed out that it was my drug use that it, you know, artificially raised the level of adrenaline in my brain and primed me to have this panic attack. So hmm. that, that was what I would call a case study of in spiraling, um, uh, mindless, uh, behavior. And several years later, uh, that that kind of put me on a weird and windy path that ultimately led me to finding meditation, uh, which I, I always thought meditation was for freaks and hippies, people, people who live in a yurt and are really into aromatherapy or whatever. But when I found out about the scientific research, there's been an explosion of scientific research that shows that meditation can lower your blood pressure, boost your immune system, literally rewire key parts of your brain. I decided to give it a shot. And you know, really what it does, despite its bad reputation, you know, it's like, I I like to say that it's been on the receiving end of uh, the worst marketing campaign for anything ever. Um, But meditation, really what it does is, is, is change your relationship with the voice in your head. We all have a voice in our head and I'm not talking about schizophrenia or hearing voices. I'm talking about your inner narrator, the voice that chases you out of bed in the morning and has you yammering and is yammering at you all day long. And Um, you know you're just constantly thinking about the past or thinking about the future to the detriment of whatever's happening right now you're wanting stuff or not wanting stuff or judging people or judging yourself or comparing yourself to other people it's this blah 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 all day long and when you're unaware of this nonstop conversation it yanks you around you know this is why you eat when you're not hungry or lose your temper at uh, strategically unwise moments or uh check your email in the middle of a conversation with your kid and f- that idea was was just very compelling to me because it, the voice in my head is exactly what had you know created that panic attack it's why i had gone off to war zones without thinking about it and gotten depressed and was insufficiently self-aware to know it and then blindly self-medicated and so um I found it to be very useful uh, and not like in some mystical or magical way, but just in a really practical way of that. It it helps me stay more focused and um, uh, it helps me be less yanked around by my urges and impulses and emotions. And uh, so I wrote a book about it uh, called 10% Happier. And it's kind of turned into a mini, mini industry where I, you know, I I have the book and I I go around the country speaking about it. And I also have an app, that teaches people how to meditate called 10% happier. And uh, all of it is really designed for people who are fidgety and skeptical and don't think they can do this or don't think it's for them. And, um, I, I, uh, am out to show that you can.
1: Well, that's fun. And, and thanks so much for developing the stuff and, and putting it out there. And I think that we're, we're a great fit here because it sounds like, you know, you were absolutely were ambitious, hard charging, motivated kind of a professional and we've got many such listeners here who fall in that boat and may have similar thoughts to meditation and i don't know about that so could you maybe uh, paint the picture for what was going on with that voice inside your head before and then what encounters did you have that that changed your mind to to take on this practice and and now what's the voice in your head like today
2: yeah so the so i was raised my my father's you know, a really ambitious, uh, successful academic physician at, at, at Harvard actually. And, uh, he had an expression that I really took to heart, which was the price of security is insecurity. Hmm. So, you know, I come from a family that where worrying is venerated. And, hmm. um, I, that was my MO for a long time. Um, and I, I arrived at ABC news at, at age 28. So 16 uh, years ago. And, I I know was very young to be doing this kind of work, and I was working you know, with Peter Jennings, Diane Sawyer, and Barbara Walters, and I just I was basically a workaholic. I just threw myself into the job, and I had this constant anxiety loop of of like you know h- how good was my last story? What's uh, my next story going to be? Okay. Uh what's you know who's getting a story that I want? What's my relationship with the bosses right now? Blah 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 all the time. And so now I've been meditating for seven years. And I still believe the price of security is insecurity. I still believe that uh, if you're going to do anything great, which we all want to do, uh, it's going to involve a certain amount of plotting and planning and worrying and stress.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: However, what the self-awareness that is generated through mindfulness meditation has allowed me to do 10% of the time is to draw the line between useless rumination and what I call constructive anguish.
1: Constructive anguish. There's a turn of a phrase. <laughs>
2: we spend a lot of time. I, I think worrying is necessary, but I think that uh, we waste a lot of energy worrying when we don't need to. And I'll just give you one little tip that was given to me by my meditation teacher. Actually, he was one one in a, in a talk one day. He was saying something about you know how worrying is a waste of energy, and I was like, well, wait a minute. If I let's just say isn't for example, I have the flight to miss, uh, to that I need to take to go home. If I miss that flight, that's going to create a lot of problems for me. Yeah. So am I, am I wrong not to worry about it? He's like, absolutely fine. I get it. That is something to worry about, uh, on, I guess. But he's like, on the 17th time that you find yourself running through all the awful ramifications of missing that flight, maybe ask yourself one simple question Is this useful? All right. That is very good advice because if you can figure out when to cut short your worrying and move your attention onto more constructive areas, you will be much more, uh, you'll have much more energy and you will be much more resilient than those against whom you are competing.
1: Oh, I love it. So now, is this useful is a powerful question. And so I'm imagining then you might say, no, it's not useful, but I can't help myself. is, Is that what you're saying? Is the meditation kind of gives you that kind of power, that mental muscle to to quiet it and put it in its place when you realize it isn't serving you?
2: I think what meditation does is help you wake up to the fact that you're going down the rabbit hole with useless uh, hand wringing over something like a flight. Like you just wake up from the dream, the the nightmare, the internal mm-hmm. hell you're creating for yourself uh, with all of these sort of like, oh, I'm going to miss this flight and then I'm going to be tired when I go into the job tomorrow and then i'm gonna then i'm gonna get fired and then i'm gonna be living on the street it's like we we just the that's the way our minds work we just flash onto this horrible future because of some potential bad thing we create these alternate universes and are and and we're not even aware of it so meditation does first is just wake you up to a thunderously obvious fact which is you have a mind and are thinking and that these thoughts aren't necessarily connected to reality and so that you should you you have the ability to step out of the traffic of your own mind and just to view what's happening with some non-judgmental remove. So in the moment when I'm worrying too much about a missing a flight, what meditation? The first thing meditation helps me do is see that it's happening, wake up from this little dream I'm in or nightmare that I'm in, and then ask the question, all right, is this useful? Have I thought this through every possible way? Do I have a plan, a contingency plan, a plan C? Um and should I move on to like maybe getting some work done or enjoying uh this coffee I'm drinking or any number of other things that would be a better use of my time so th- that's the first thing it does, but then you you, uh, you correctly raised the issue of like, okay, what if you can't stop worrying? M- meditation is not thought control or mind control mm. uh, you, you can't we don't actually this is one of the mysteries of the universe. we don't actually know where our thoughts and emotions come from they come out of a void um Mm. so i don't think you can control what happens next what you can do is be more awake so that when it starts again you can you can say what ronald reagan said to walter mondale in the presidential debate in 1984 there you go again (laughs) and and you don't have to bite the hook and act on it every time the moron in your head offers up a terrible suggestion.
1: Okay. so Well, that sounds very appealing to have less entertaining of the moron in my head. So could you also walk us through a little bit of the the neuroscience uh, research associated with the benefits? And you you recently tweeted that that they're bringing some more meditative practices into the army. What are the results that are popping up there?
2: Yeah. So I don't know if I could cite this with a thousand percent accuracy. So just let me Oh, sure. Uh, So just take what I say with a grain of salt. But the neuroscience is really interesting before I go into it, because it's actually really interesting. I just want to give you one more caveat, which is that it's really it's in its early stages. And so I think what we can safely say is that it's it strongly suggests some really tantalizing benefits. But, um, you know, it's going to say it's in danger at times of being overly hyped by people like me. So I just want to be clear okay so having said that it's actually really awesome so just right. as, just as one example um in 2011 at harvard they took people who'd never meditated before right total civilians and um they scanned their brains and then they for 8 weeks they had them do a little bit of meditation every day and then at the end of the 8 weeks they scanned their brains again and what they found is that uh the areas of the brain associated with uh self-awareness and compassion the gray matter literally grew Hmm. And in the area of the brain associated with stress, the gray matter literally shrank. That's good. So uh, studies like this uh, have have resulted in meditation being adopted in some very strange places, like corporate, you know, corporate headquarters of you know Google, Twitter, Aetna, Procter and Gamble, General Mills. A lot of entertainers are doing it. The lead singer of Weezer, Katy Perry, Lena Dunham, Fifty Cent. Uh, as I like to point out, that dude got shot nine times. <laughs> I believe he deserves some peace of mind. Uh, it's also being done um, embraced in a big way in the medical community. Uh, the legal community, the athletic community, Novak Djokovic, we just had a tough Wimbledon, but he's a a big meditator, Seattle Seahawks, uh, the Red Sox, lots of teams are really adopting mindfulness and meditation. And then finally, as you mentioned, the US military, where I just did a podcast interview with a major general uh, and a neuroscientist who are working together. And they've been studying what happens when you teach troops to meditate. Um, And what they found is that Their attentional capacity, their ability to focus on what's happening, even in situations of high stress, goes up. Now, that may just sound very technical, like, oh, well, so they're better able to focus on um, whatever they're doing. Okay, well, that's good. I guess we want our soldiers to be focused. But actually, your level of focus is associated with like lots of things, like your emotional reactivity and your overall resiliency and well-being. And so that's really important because we don't want troops who are popping off and firing at people in a, right. a you know, in a in a sensitive uh, insurgency situation. We want them uh, to be very uh, mindful and and uh, effective, and we also want them to be resilient when they come home and less prone to the scourge of PTSD. And so we're in a situation now. This major general said where we may end up in the not too distant future with a U.S. Army where meditation is part of basic training. Oh,
1: that's quotable. Boom. Exciting stuff. So so can we maybe dig into the nuts and bolts a little bit here with the, the research there? You know, what's kind of the effective dosage? And brass tacks, what are you doing when you're meditating? What exactly is that practice looking
2: like? Let me start with the first here's another caveat just briefly that uh, the word meditation is a bit like the word sports. So it describes a whole range of activities. But when I talk about meditation, I'm talking about mindfulness meditation, which is the kind of meditation that has been studied the most in the labs. And it is derived from Buddhism, but has been thoroughly stripped of any of its um, religious jargon or metaphysical claims. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very thoroughly secularized and, uh, it's really simple as you're about to see. It's got three for beginners. The first three steps are one to sit comfortably. You don't have to sit with a, you know, like cross-legged or anything like that. I sit in a chair and many, many people close their eyes, although some you don't have to, you can like leave them open a little bit. if That's easier. Um, and then the second step is to just bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath. Where you know, you feel it coming in and going out. You pick a spot wherever it's most prominent. Usually it's your nose or your chest or your belly, and you're just feeling your breath coming in and going out. And then the third step, this is the key. This is the thing most people ignore, but this is the key. As soon as you try to do this, your mind's gonna go nuts. You're gonna start thinking about what am I gonna have for lunch? Why did I say that dumb thing to my boss? Why did Nances with Wills be good for Best Picture, nineteen ninety one? Where did gerbils run wild? Whatever. It's just you're just gonna go crazy. And the whole game is to notice when you've become distracted and to start again and again and again and again and again. And that is a bicep curl for your brain. And this is what shows up on the brain scans. You know, it's also, I should say, it's a a radical act because uh, you're breaking this lifetime's habit of walking around in a fog of rumination and projection. And you're actually doing this you're actually just focusing on what's happening right now, which we almost never do. Uh, and so I just want to just emphasize this again, because I hear a lot from people that they feel they cannot meditate. I get it. I know it's good for you, but you don't understand my mind is so busy. I could never do it. This is what I hear like every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I call this the fallacy of uniqueness. Uh, the good news and the bad news is you are not special. Welcome to the human condition. Everybody's mind is crazy. If it weren't that way, we wouldn't need uh meditation. Uh, The goal is not to clear your mind. That is impossible unless you're enlightened or dead. The goal is to focus your mind for nanoseconds at a time. And then every time you get lost, you start again and again and again. And this I find when I tell people is hugely liberating and encouraging for people that the meditation is not about reaching some special state. It's about feeling whatever you're feeling right now without getting carried away by it. That's what you're learning over time is just to see. Again, it's nothing magical. It's nothing mystical. It's just you're, you're building this telescope that goes inside where you're able to just see what your body and mind are doing at any given moment so that you aren't at the mercy of the malevolent puppeteer of your ego. And instead you're making, you're able to respond wisely to the things that are happening instead of reacting blindly. And that's exactly what I didn't do when I went off to war zones and got depressed about it. I, I reacted blindly to all this stuff and, and it blew up in my face. And then responding wisely would have prevented the whole cycle.
1: Okay. Well, so I, those are some great images there, building a telescope, and that gives you extra ability to see and, and observe. And, and so that sounds great. Those three steps very easy and manageable. And just how much of Practicing these three steps, does the research suggest we need to do to, to really start seeing that gray matter increase or realizing those benefits?
2: I was sitting with a neuroscientist yesterday um, who I asked this question to. and it, It's hard to answer, but there have been studies that have shown effects with as, as, as uh, little as eight minutes a day. Hmm. Uh, another neuroscientist I've consulted about this uh, said that she, she believes based on her results, uh, this is the one who works with the army. She believes that it's around 12 minutes a day what I tell people is you should start with five to 10 minutes a day and then go from there. And I think that if you did five to 10 minutes a day of meditation, you would derive a lot of the aforementioned benefits. I mean, I think more is better, but we don't, often, we don't have time. Actually, uh, this guy I was sitting with yesterday is really interesting. He's, he's really, the, his name is Dr. Richard Davidson, and he's a neuroscientist at the University of Wisconsin. And he's the pioneer, the guy, the first guy who really started peering into the brains of meditators and. One thing he does when he does studies now of, you know, people who've never meditated before is he asks, what is the most you could commit to doing, but you would do it every day? So is it 30 seconds? Mm. Is it five seconds? Is it two minutes? And then start from there. But that there's a real power to the dailiness of it, this daily collision with the, what I had said before, the moron in your head that allows you to just resist when the voice in your head says, oh, yeah, you should eat that 48th cookie or you should say the thing that's going to ruin the next two days of your marriage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where that's the benefit here. Um, so I, I think I think that kind of answers the question, I hope. Oh,
1: yes. Well, so now I'm wondering a little bit about kind of pro tips in terms of you got the three basic steps and and the dosage there. Any thoughts in terms of uh, time of day or meditation cushions or gear or where do you come out on all those matters?
2: I mean, look, you can get the gear, the cushions if you want. Um, I'm not anti-cushions or whatever, <laughs> but you, know, you don't need it. Um, in terms of time of day, sometimes people are advised to do it first thing in the morning, but I'm worried about that. I, I actually think if you're not a morning person, don't don't do it in the morning do it wherever is maximally convenient for you where you think you're going to be able to create an abiding habit where it fits into your day most seamlessly habit creation is really tough i'm learning a lot about that having i have this app now where we're helping people start meditating and we have a we have a coaching function so we actually have real live human beings that you can text with anytime you want and the thing we hear from our customers a lot is you know just getting started is really hard and so we think a lot about how to help people create an abiding habit. And, um, so I, I would experiment with the time of day that works best for you. Uh, another pro tip is that getting started should be cheap or free. Mm. Um, I don't think you need to spend, this needs to be expensive. I don't think it should be stressful. Um, so the, in terms of getting started, I would say there are a couple of options. Uh, one is, you know, there are free, mindfulness meditation instructions up on the web all over the place. Good ones Two two good places to go would be uh, the website for UCLA. Uh, they have a a place called the Mindful Awareness Research Center. So it's a, a bunch of scientists um, and they have some very simple secular meditation instructions up there that I like. Also, there's a meditation teacher by the name of Sharon Salzberg who's a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has free meditation uh, instructions up on her site. Uh, and then like, uh, f- there are a bunch of really good meditation apps, um, uh, uh, including 10% happier, but there, we have a lot of friends who also do, who also have apps and, um, and most of them, you know, are we, we have, and all of them have, you know, free trials. So for us, for example, if, you know, you get seven days free and, uh, if you like this, you can get a subscription, but frankly, if you did our seven day, uh, free You'll know how to meditate by the end of that and you'll be able to use those meditations in perpetuity. So you could use our app forever and you won't pay us anything, which probably makes me the worst businessman ever. But, <laughs> but I really, you know, I really, my thing is I, I do think this is the next big public health revolution and I just want to be part of it. And so I, I think the most important thing is to get started and, and to know that's doable and it shouldn't be taxing on your, on your wallet. One other thing, if you really want to, I think really, a great option if you, especially if you live in a city where these resources are available, is to go to a class. Um, I think being in the presence of other people who are trying this and having access to a teacher who you can ask questions of is really useful. And so there are, you know, a lot of a lot of places. Um, uh, if you look up mindfulness based stress reduction, MBSR. Uh, this is the secular meditation protocol um, and they they're teachers all over the country they run classes uh, and if you live in new york city there 's a place called mndFL which is for, stands for mindful um, and they have mm. classes uh, teachers from all sorts of traditions uh, most major cities now have like are the, a lot of major cities now are you 're seeing meditation uh, so called dry bars popping up and the, the, those are good places to learn uh, so anyway those are the pro tips.
1: Well, thank you. So tell us, is there anything else you want to make sure you share before we shift gears and talk
2: about some of your favorite things here? No, that's good. I think you asked all the right questions. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, shucks. Well, that means a lot from a a newscaster. Uh, I'll take it. Thank you. Start us off. Could you share a favorite quote of yours, something that you find inspiring?
2: There are quotes sometimes attributed to Lincoln. Um, When I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. That's my religion. I like that. You know, compassion is an undervalued thing in our society, either because people feel like it's an empty bromide or because we're lectured about it by religious leaders who then turn out to be corrupt or because, I don't know, we feel like it may not be applicable in our daily lives uh, in our competitive jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But actually there's a very self-interested case for not being a jerk. And that is that feels, feels bad to be a jerk, whether you're aware of it or not, even if you're unself-aware and you're being a jerk, um, it's, you will affect your mood. Um, and so the religion that, uh, Abraham Lincoln lays out, I think is a really good way to live your life.
1: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or piece of research you find yourself point too often.
2: Well, I, I the 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 Harvard one, I like a lot. Uh, but there's another one that was done at Yale uh, that took people long term meditators and they um, looked at their brains and they found that. So for most of us, we have a part of our brains, uh, sort of an interconnected set of brain regions uh, known as the default mode. So it's our default mode when we're like thinking about ourselves or thinking about the future, or thinking about the past. We're just like our mind is wandering. So we, we live a lot of our life in the, in the, in our default mode or with our wine, mind wandering. It's actually been as a side note. There is another study, uh, that shows that when your mind is wandering, you're actually less happy than when you are, when, right. than, you, than you are when you're focused. And what this study at Yale found is that, uh, meditators, uh, they have a different default mode that actually when they're meditating, the default mode goes quiet and that actually their default modes are quiet even when they're not meditating. Mm. These are, again, long ter- longer-term meditators, but I think this is available to any of us who just start a habit over time. The, the amount of mind-wandering you do, the round of sort of senseless rumination that you're doing will go down and you'll be showing up for your actual life.
1: Oh, that sounds very appealing. Uh, and how about a favorite book?
2: There's a book I really, the book that to me that started me, that really got me interested in meditation was a book called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart by a shrink in New York City, Dr. Mark Epstein, who writes about the overlap between psychology and Buddhism, and he does it in a very sort of non-froofy, science-based, clinically-based uh, perspective from a really smart guy. So that, that actually was the, the book that was a big turnaround for, for me, personally, in my path, that helped me see that this, this meditation thing that I had always written off as ridiculous actually could be useful.
1: Mm, okay. And how about a, a favorite tool, whether it's a hardware, software, or gadget, something that just makes you more effective?
2: My wife just got me uh, an iPad Pro with a keyboard that actually has been much easier to lug around than my uh, laptop. And I found that it's really been extremely useful.
1: Okay. And, and how about a favorite habit? I might know what you're going to say to this one.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> meditation.
1: <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's number one.
2: Yeah, but I would say, you know, I mean, I have an 18-month-old kid, and um, I walked into the apartment uh, a little while ago after lunch, and I have a, a bunch of things to do. But my kid was sitting in the stroller getting ready to go out with his nanny because his, his parents are off at work, and I was just popping in for a second. And I had a pivot point there of like, okay, I could either say, kiss the baby and just go to work, or I could bring him out of the stroller and kick the ball around with him for a little bit. And my habit is when you have a chance to play with your kid, play with your kid. And catch up on the other crap later. And, uh, so I, I time with your kid is always time well spent, I've found as a new dad. Um, so that's one habit. The other habit that I think may be more applicable to everybody, because not everybody has kids or not everybody has little kids. So I live in New York City and there are a lot of homeless people. Um, every, mm-hmm. every, you know, when I walk to work, I pass a lot of homeless people and it was pointed out to me by, uh, one of my teachers that like, you know, ignoring them, which is what we all do. Mm-hmm it actually takes a psychic toll actually if you're aware enough of what's happening in the moment when you ignore a homeless person it doesn't feel good uh and so so i started getting uh ones out of the bank like 200 ones at once and carrying them around with me just as an aside with the first time i went in to do that the teller i was like hey can (laughs) can i can i have 200 ones and he looked at me and said you partying tonight yeah so he thought i was going to a strip club. i've gotten that um, before as well <laughs> so oh so did you do this thing with the one
1: well i mean i whenever i've had occasion to get a lot of ones whether it's for homeless folks or just a lot of people try to split a tab coming up soon uh everyone just infers naughty things about me
2: <laughs> yes yeah. so uh he thought some naughty things about me which is funny but um so we my wife and i now you know we have a couple stacks of ones laying around the house and we've just always filled our wallet with them. And then, you know, my habit is I just hand them out on the way to work. And you'll notice that you'll have thoughts like, you know, does this, is this person going to just use them for drugs or what are they going to do with it? But like, I just keep coming down to a, I know they need it more than I do. Right. And B, it feels better to give something away. There's a little dopamine hit associated with that than it does to ignore them. And, uh, so it's a, I found a very life enhancing habit. Oh,
1: thank you. And and how about a favorite nugget from your your work that's that really seems to be resonating with folks whether it's a, you know a quick quote or or a sentence that seems to get retweeted or a kindle book highlighted a lot
2: the thing that i say in the book that people seem to latch onto the most was actually not my idea mm. but is it was mentioned earlier in this conversation which is that meditation gives you the ability to respond not react respond wisely to things instead of reacting blindly. We're just yanked around. We're led around uh, by our nose, uh, by our internal narrator, by the voice in our head. And that means we're just popping off in response to things. We're very infrequently thoughtful about, you know, anger comes up and we just act on it. And what meditation does is allow you to uh, have like an internal meteorologist that can see the storm coming before, you know, It makes landfall and you do something stupid or you can catch it earlier than you might. And look, uh, to quote a friend of mine, you know, cutting down on the half-life of anger is incredibly important. Like the difference between the amount of damage you can do in two minutes of anger versus an hour of anger is incalculable. And Mm. having this practice in my life that helps me catch it uh, earlier is just, you know, Really, really useful.
1: Oh, thank you. And what would be the best place you'd like to point people to if they want to learn more about this stuff? And you?
2: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's a little self promotional, but the, the app. Oh,
1: no, take The, it. the app <laughs>
2: is, uh, is you know really a big focus of mine now. It's right now available on iTunes or in the App Store. Or if you don't have a, if you have an Android phone, you can get a version through 10 dot com. We'll get an Android version up soon. We're very young company and, uh, still working on, uh, lots of, lots of things. But, uh, you know, so what we have up there is really proto, uh, in the prototype uh, phase, but we're really excited about it and would love feedback. And anybody who wants to tell me anything, uh, you can hit me on Twitter at Dan B. Harris and just, uh, I, I actually read all those comments.
1: Oh, thank you. And do you have a, a favorite, uh, challenge or, or, parting thought call to action, for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
2: You know, look, on the meditation thing, what I would say is you challenge yourself to just a week. Can you do this every day? Now, we can help you with that challenge on the app, or you, if you don't want to download an app you just want to tell yourself you're going to do it, just say, I'm going to do some increment, a short increment every day for a week. And what happens? I know very few people. I know, you know a lot of people starting and, and fall off the wagon. I don't know anybody who's done it you know, giving it a consistent shot and said, yeah, this is crap.
1: Okay. That'll do it. Well, Dan, thanks so much. This has been a real treat and I wish you tons of luck and that you become 10% happier or even more as you keep on chugging through this.
2: I I believe the 10% compounds annually. Oh, that's nice.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Dan for sharing those insights and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Okay. A couple minutes a day, bringing some attention back and back and back. A bicep curl for the brain. I really like that notion. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript of things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep44. If you haven't already, please punch the subscribe button because you're not going to want to miss our next guest, Emmanuel Gobio, who has some really cool perspective on collaboration and the real organizational chart. Hope you catch you next time.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.